Hey, this is uh, Will Fortasio. Hi, this is Brian Azarelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Ned Jordan Calibus. And Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duncan here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 37. I'm your host Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. And this is Zach. And Apple will be joining us later for the comic reviews on location from his house in San Antonio, Texas. So we have comic news, we have your upcoming releases, we have eight books to cover in comic reviews, and there will not be a BBFP this week. (gasps) Wait, you ask why? Well, we'll get to that later. But uh, for right now, we also have a discussion. So let's get into comic news and get the podcast started. What have you got for me? All right, so the very first thing we have is on January 19th, Gail Simone talked with Newsarama about Birds of Prey coming back. Now, what was interesting was the solicitations came out also on January 19th. And surprisingly enough, there was not a solicitation for Birds of Prey. Why? I don't know. What was the point of announcing it when they did if they weren't going to release it in April? Well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, there's a couple highlights. Actually, there's a decent amount of highlights from the interview that Gail Simone did with Newsarama. And Josh is going to read for the good old Newsarama. And I'm going to, in my best female voice, read for Gail Simone. Is the overall concept the same with them operating as a team with Oracle as leader, or has any of that changed? There are some new twists, but the core concept is just one of those things that can't be improved on, in my opinion. The core team is Oracle, Huntress, and Black Canary, with Lady Blackhawk providing support. But beyond that, there's a ton of new stuff. Some very cool, slightly scary new additions, some new obstacles they've never faced before, and quite possibly my favorite villain I've ever created. This one is a bloody keeper. Lady Blackhawk's role was often as pilot, although she certainly could hold her own in a fight. It looks like the team is operating out of Gotham City, is that right? And if so, what role does Lady Blackhawk play in the team? I never thought of Zinda as a brawler. To me, she's always a pilot who used guns as necessary. She's a Blackhawk, which is one of the proudest and coolest legacies in all of comics. I never think of her as an operative, precisely. But she is an absolute joy to write, one of the most joyful characters in comics, in my opinion. As for where they operate from, well, that is the Batmobile they're sitting on in issue one's cover. I thought so. Will this comic tie into the return of Batman in any way? Batman who? Well, then let's talk about a woman who looks bat-like. Many people have guessed about who's the diving person is with the cape. I don't suppose you can give us a clue to that person's identity. No, but it would be awesome if it was an amazing man. The other blacked-out figure sure looks bulky. Is there a man on the team? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Very weird indeed. At what point are these characters going to be revealed? Is it something that's waiting on a setup in another comic, or are you just holding back the announcement for a while? No, they're revealed in the first issue. They are favorites of mine, and I'm looking forward to showing a completely new side of each of them, something that is going to make people reconsider them both. I'm excited about this bit. So, interestingly enough, that last question, she definitely doesn't answer why they've been blacked out on the cover, since we are going to find out about them in the first issue. It's probably a marketing thing, not up to her. Probably. I'm going to say they're based out of the Batcave. (laughs) 
Yeah, just like the Outsiders and uh, Batgirl and uh, Oracle and everyone, although not the Outsiders any longer, but people seem to be all over the Batcave, you know, you had, yeah. at one point... Well, we forget that the Outsiders, they were told uh, that the Batcave is now shut up and they can't go in there, but somehow Oracle and Batgirl got in there. That's why, it, you know, they got kicked be- out in turn for the chicks. It has become the Pentagon of the costume heroes in Gotham. We've had more people in the Batcave in the past few months than we had back when Bruce Wayne was operating in there. We got Two-Face and, you know, the Dick Grayson Batman and Batgirl and Oracle and the Outsiders. and Too many to keep count of. All right, so that's that news. Moving right along, like I said, the solicitations came out that same day and not really anything super spectacular as far as new. We know that there will be three trade paperback trade paperbacks coming out in April 2010 with the first issues of Batman Robin, another one with Gotham City Sirens, and another one with Red Robin. This is a small little comment, but also those of you who have kids um, and are also fans of the 60s TV series, you might be interested to know that Egghead will be making an appearance in Batman the Brave and the Bold. Cool, they're very uh, 60s influenced on that Brave and the Bold show. Maybe they'll recreate Vincent Price's voice and use it again. Oh, that would be awesome. It would, but he's dead. News, Batman. Egghead is back. Back, I say. This is a radar egg. And the slightest vibration will make it explode. All right, so moving <laughs> along on January 20th, uh, Chris Yost and Brian Q. Miller talked about uh, Tim Drake and Stephanie Brown's reunion of sorts uh, with Newsarama. In March, we know that Batgirl will feature a reunion of sorts between Tim Drake and Stephanie Brown. The story will then continue into Red Robin. We all know that these two characters have a very extensive past, and last time we saw them together, Tim was telling Steph to never wear the spoiler costume again, which we recently saw in the issue of Batgirl. So what will happen when Tim and sees Steph running around Gotham as Batgirl? Well, Miller and Yost had some interesting things to hint at for what could be in store. So, Josh will read for Newsarama, I will read for Brian Q. Miller, and Zach will read for Chris Yost. Where are Steph and Tim's heads as we begin this crossover? Steph's just finished her core requirements arc at this point, so she's actually at a pretty nice jumping on point to the continuity of the book. She's coming even more into her own. She really wants to be better at what she does. She's hungry for it. Really, the only thing that could derail her a little bit would be the reappearance of a certain someone from her past. And Tim's coming out of his battle with the Council of Spiders in the League of Assassins, where he got a substantial win. Tim's head is clear for the first time in a long time. It would appear the brooding, the darkness, all the moral compromises, Tim wants that to be done. And then, of course, the first person he runs into is Stephanie. What brings them together for the story? What's the setup for crossing over the comics? Chris got the ball rolling over in Red Robin, so Chris? Red Robin dealt the League of Assassins a major blow by crippling their worldwide computer network and doing a fair amount of damage to Raz al Ghul real estate holdings globally, and Raz isn't so happy about it. So he's going eye for an eye with the Bat family. As Red Robin attacked Raz's world, Raz is going to attack Gotham. He's not even being coy about it. He flat out tells Red Robin that he's coming after everything, and specifically everyone that Bruce Wayne ever cared about. He's going to assassinate key figures in Bruce and Tim's lives, and Tim knows he could use some help. And who does he find in the Batcave? 
is there anyone left alive in Bruce and Tim's lives anymore for Frost to assess him? Will the search for Bruce Wayne play a role in this crossover at all? Will Steph be a part of it? Tim and Steph have a more immediate concern in Batgirl number eight. Yeah, and telling Steph that Bruce is is alive isn't the first reaction he has to her. He's more concerned about making sure Bruce Wayne has a, has a Gotham to come back to. What comes next after the crossover? Anything you can tell us about what Steph and Tim have coming in the, in the future? Over on Steph's side of Gotham, Batgirl, Oracle, Torrential Rain, Mysterious Suicide, same old, same old. Batman and Robin, Red Robin versus Ra's al Ghul, and the answer to why Tim believed so certainly that Bruce Wayne was alive. So it could possibly be a full year before we find out why Tim thinks Bruce is still alive. It's because someone wrote a bat on a cave wall, and only Bruce, Bruce is the only human being on Earth equipped to actually write bats on cave walls. So, Of course. So, the... You know, we made the comment while we were reading this, uh, if it wasn't edited out. Yeah, Roz is going to go after people in Tim and, you know, Dick's lives. Who Who's left? Every Is he going to go after Tim's dad? Oh, wait. Or how Silver, about, you know? Silver St. Cloud. Oh, no. Or, you know, Dick's friends are all basically like... The no, that's... The Silver St. Cloud's <laughs> happening in Widening Gear. That's not reality, though. I know. Because that has Bruce Wayne. But it's I all going to come together. It's just going to get crazy. I mean, I is Roz going to go after Tim's friends from the Titans? Because they'd kick Roz ass. You know, you got like, you know, Starfire <laughs> and the Flash and everything. It's like, who are they going to go after? The like, his his landlady from the Chuck Dixon run? <laughs> Alfred? Who? <laughs> yeah, they're going Al- to Al- kill Alfred. Alfred this fought is- Deathstroke. He'll kick Roz's butt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think so. Uh, Vicky Vale. You know would that, be, would that be such a bad thing? Bad. Would that be that, that terrible of a thing if she died, though? You know what? I think Dustin's right, though, because they are including Vicky Vale and Red Robin, and That's, supposedly yeah. she knows who everybody is now, although they Lu- haven't done anything with that storyline. Lucius. Yeah, May of last year. Lucius and Tam. All right, so moving on to the last bit of news we have. On January 26th, IGN had a chance to talk with Grant Morrison, Morrison, who turned the entire Batman universe upside down in 2009, discussed what his plans are for 2010. Josh will read for IGN Comics, and I will read for Grant Morrison. Throughout your run on Batman, and continuing through Batman and Robin right up until now, you've been extremely prolific about adding to Batman's cast and rogues gallery in rapid succession, only ever pausing briefly to give you some background on new characters like Pig, Flamingo, Oberon Sexton, and so forth. Wow, that was a long sentence. At one point, Dick even tells Jason, backstory, not interested. And it's almost as if you're talking right to the reader. No time to slow down. Here's the bare essentials you need to know about this character. Was that a conscious decision on your part from the get-go? Totally. I was looking back at the really early Batman stuff because I was curious what it was like when they first brought on the Joker. The guy is hardly in any panels at all. But he's just really compelling, so we tried to do that with Professor Pig, and it really worked because there was something about that character that was weirdly alive from the moment he first appeared. I like the idea that the Joker was never really explained, and then six months later you got another Joker story in 1940 or whatever. They didn't explain his origins or motivations at all. They just kept telling more cool stories and showing more sides of his character. He was built up, developed, and refined along... The way rather than introduced as a complete package. To me, that seems to be the mark of the best villains. They're introduced in a really cool way and then left for future to play with. 
Like some future Alan Moore and Brian Boland will come along one day and tell the origin of Professor Pig, and it'll be the best comic ever. <laughs> That's how it should be. We're too used to getting everything up front, the whole background, the details, and the scorecard. But I think these characters are stronger when we just get to see them do something great. And then they're gone again, leaving us all wanting more. We get to learn a little bit each time. Each new writer or artist gets to add something different, and then there should be room to do that with any good character. Do you have any plans to revisit some of these characters in the immediate future, or are you happy to let them exist as they are for the time being? I don't know. Professor Pig will probably be back just because I can't wait to write him again. There are a ton of new characters coming up, and then we're going back to the Joker, Dr. Hurt, and some of the R.A.P. stuff. We're doing that in a different way, a Batman or Robin way. As Karl Marx said, history repeats itself first as tragedy, then as a farce. <laughs> then that's the thinking behind our big season-ender arc of Batman and Robin must die. In your interview with USA Today, you hinted that we'll see Batman and Robin issues running alongside the return of Bruce Wayne. Has the series grown from its original 12 to 13 issue plan? Yeah, it started out as 30, 13. Now season 1 is 16 issues and then there's a season 2. It changes obviously once Bruce comes back and we start a different we start with a different sort of dynamic. But like I said, I was going to leave it after issue number 13. Then I came up with an idea which seemed fun to do. So the Batman Universe status quo changes again dramatically after number 16. But I don't want to say any more about that. Anything else I say will reveal too much about where we're going. Just so fans are clear, can you walk us through the six per different periods we'll be dealing with? Can you name the Batman we'll be seeing in The Return of Bruce Wayne? Caveman, Witch Hunter, Pirate, Cowboy, Hard-Boiled P.I., and Dark Knight. You've mentioned earlier that we'll eventually see this intersection between the Batman and Robin series and Return of Bruce Wayne. When can fans expect to see that happen? It happens during Andy Clark's Batman vs. Robin arc. We're doing a kind of Dan Brown-style search of the Wayne Manor for clues Bruce has left in the past. The whole thing is kind of put together like clockwork with Andy's meticulous art. So that is the end of the interview. Uh, there was a mention that uh, we didn't post on here, but some of the characters... Batman's actually going to be bumping into some uh, DCU characters from the past um, while he's going through time, such as while he's a cowboy Batman, he's going to bump into Jonah Hex, which is kind of cool. Which coincides, actually, with the exact amount of time that Jonah Hex movie will be coming out in theaters. <coughs> hmm. So Batman's going to be in the Old West. I think I just realized why Tim knows he's alive. Tim's going to be standing in the middle of, like, some rainy street, and some postman's going to come up to him. Are you Tim Wayne? I have something <laughs> for you. A letter. <laughs> Dear Tim, by the time you read this letter, I'll be... He's alive! Bruce is alive! He's in the Old West, but he's alive! By the way, I hate it when comic writers do this. Stop referring to your runs on books as seasons. This isn't a TV show. I know that you're trying to make it seem more accessible to the average fans, and I'm so tired of whenever... You're trying to get people into your run. You say on Newsarama or CBR, oh, yeah, this is the start of a new season. We're entering season two now of my run. This isn't a TV show, okay? And if if there was seasons, we'd be in, like, season 80-something of Batman anyway. Moving along. All right, so that's the end of the news we have. Let's get into upcoming trade paperbacks. And speak of the devil, there are absolutely no trade paperbacks coming out in two weeks, surprisingly enough. They obviously must be waiting to hit us with a ton of trade paperbacks all at once. Yeah, I know. 
So let's move into our comic reviews and we're going to start off with World's Finest. The giant Superman-Batman-Robot is plowing through Gotham City, still holding Batgirl and Supergirl in its hands, while the kryptonite powering it is making Supergirl helpless to break out of its grip. Batman and Robin approach in the flying Batmobile, and Batman is pleased to see that Superman has shown up, albeit he's still in his new Krypton uniform. The robot swallows Supergirl. Yes, it swallows her. And the missile is launched by Batman, which makes the Superman-Batman robot drop Batgirl, who's caught by Robin. And the Robin and Batgirl banter from over in the Batgirl title continues on here as Damien and her trade some barbs and he calls her Fat Girl, a comment that's going to bite him in the butt later on in the book. Toyman and Mr. Freeze are controlling the robot from a nearby rooftop and they're none too pleased about Superman's arrival. Batman plans to enter the robot, rescue Supergirl, and deactivate the kryptonite power source. Clark tells Dick that good you had a great teacher and dick reminds clark that uh, bruce wasn't the only teacher that he had superman's able to open the robot's mouth so batman can get in meanwhile batgirl and robin are fighting toyman and freeze when toyman's remote accidentally activates which is apparently causing the robot to launch and destroy new krypton with its you know nuclear bomb or whatever inside Superman chases the robot as it goes towards space. While inside the robot, Batman's fighting off the toy man's little flying fighting toys and frees Supergirl. Batman also sees Kryptonite Man hooked up and realizes that he's feeding the ship's power. Superman catches up to the robot and busts a hole in it, entering the robot. And surprisingly, nobody gets sucked out because this thing's going a million miles per hour or whatever. Uh, eh. Superman picks up the machine holding Kryptonite Man. Dick attaches a device to it so that the Batmobile will catch it, and then Clark throws it out of the ship and towards Earth. So now that the Kryptonite's not weakening them anymore, Supergirl and Superman jump out of the ship with Superman holding Batman as it explodes. Mr. Freeze has frozen Batgirl and Robin, and he's about to finish them off for good when Superman returns, no pun intended, and saves them. While... Interrogating the Toy Man, he talks about why he did this, and it's basically because he hates aliens, he hates New Krypton, he doesn't like Kryptonians. Then he begins to short circuit, and we find out that Toy Man was a robot all along. We get a little bit of a wrap up. While Dick and Clark are talking to each other, uh, we see basically Red Robin on his mission over in Paris, and we see uh, Nightwing and Flamebird, we see the Guardian, we see Supergirl basically yelling at Damien for calling Batgirl Fat Girl, and Superman's like, I can't return just yet. I have to keep an eye on General Zod. I need you to do me a favor, Dick. You know, Bruce always trusted me when the chips were down. I'm going to need you to trust me too. It's like, okay. We see the real toy man. He's actually working for General Lane. And he's like, good. So your robot fooled everyone. I'm wondering if you can build a robot that will fool a whole planet of Kryptonians. So it says end at the end of this, but we get the feeling that they're setting up for a bigger storyline. But that's for another time. I'm counting on it. And that's going to take us into Detective Comics 861, written by Greg Rucka and with art by Jock. That's right. J. Williams is gone. We open with a small-time crook bragging about his recent job to some friends. As he is talking, he is confronted by Batman. Batman demands to know where this unnamed crook is. The teenage boy tells him he is on a yacht named The Sweet Surprise. He also asks Batman not to tell his parents. We then cut to the yacht. 
where we learn that the crook's name is Garrett, and he is currently being chased by the Gotham Central Police Department. We also see Batman board the yacht. Off-panel, Batman makes a quick work of Garrett and waits for the police to arrive. We then cut to Gordon and the rest of the GCPD discussing the recent disappearances of three Gotham University students who are all female. Unfortunately, the first girl was found dead with her hands cut off at the wrist, and the second staggered into the ER at a hospital missing the lower part of her jaw. During this discussion, the killer is given the title The Cutter. We then see Batwoman making a rather loud entrance into the Cutter's hideout. We see the third female on the cutting table. It appears that she was about to be killed. The Cutter and Batwoman begin to fight. The Cutter stabs Kate several times and then escapes. However, Kate manages to survive and rescue the girl in time. At the scene, Kate and Captain Sawyer meet for the first time. We cut to the, the rooftop of GCPD headquarters where Gordon and Batman are discussing the recent disappearance of one Vanessa Hansen. Gordon wonders why there hasn't been a ransom demand considering she is the high risk to the family fortune. Batman states that the job is not professional but caused by obsession and that is where they depart. We catch up with Kate at the library where she meets up with her cousin Betty, a student at Gotham University. They discuss the recent relationship between Kate's stepmother and father. She is not speaking to them. Betty also brings up the Cutter situation. Kate expresses concern, but Buddy, Betty tells her not to worry. We then see someone is taking photographs of Betty off panel. We then see that Batman and Batwoman are both currently searching for someone. Batman the missing Hanson girl and Batwoman the Cutter killer. Final page shows the Cutter and his next victim. He has chosen none other than Betty to be continued. Question co-feature is also written by Greg Rucco with art done by Coley Hamner. This is the final chapter of the storyline titled Pipeline. We open where the last issue left us. The crazy-eyed assassin has conf- confronted Helena and Renee. After a brief fight sequence between the girls and the assassin, Hel- Helena is able to put the assassin into an uncomfortable situation in which she offers him a deal. We then see Helena and Renee in their Huntress and Question costumes appearing dead on the floor. The assassin sends the picture to his boss and receives payments to his accounts for completing his contract. The girls agree to pay him $2 million and give him the keys to the Lamborghini. In exchange, the assassin gives, up, gives them his computer that he contacted the network with. He leaves and Tot is upset about uh, the fact that the girls just let a killer go in exchange for some information. He says that he's ashamed that it, and that if Charlie were alive, he would be too. And that is the end of the question co-feature. You must be the ugliest guy of all time, question. Hiding your face like that. Go away. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman and Robin number seven, the long-delayed issue. So we first start off with uh, Dick carrying out a body that's in a bat suit that obviously has decayed a little bit. Immediately on the next page, we see Batman saving a girl from what appears to be either a water tower or a blimp blowing up. the girl He drops the girl off to the parents below, and he takes off. Turns out he's in England, and he's talking to Squire, and they are trying to disarm many bombs around London that King Cole has set. He links up with Squire, and they make it down to the subway where they get to a train that's uh, old King Cole's train, once he, he blows a hole in the side of the train and he looks inside only to see that Smooth Eddie English, the pearly prince, is actually tied to the train with a bomb. Then uh, Batman goes to the 
place known as Basement 101, which I guess would be the equivalent to Arkham Asylum, where the Queen keeps all of the worst criminals that aren't just petty criminals, not people you obviously keep in Blackgate, but people that need to be kept under wraps a little bit more. The guard leads Batman to talk to the pearly king of crime, who is Eddie's father. The pearly king of crime informs Batman that Eddie had a card game with old King Cole, and he won a coal mine. The coal mine has been said to bring people back from the dead, no real word on what exactly it is. Batman says he has enough information. Essentially leaves, meets up with Squire, who's saying, what's this diagram thing that I just sent to Cyril? Cyril being Knight. And what is he talking about? Shipment X is in position. Then Batman explains that there's a specific mission that Knight is on because his regular partner is out of commission. Then we see Damien, who's butt naked in a tank, attached to a bunch of uh, mechanical devices, and his back is completely ripped apart. You see Alfred talking to Talia about how Damien going to be okay. Talia says, yes, he'll be fine. Trust me, this is all part of his destiny. She ensures Alfred that he will be fine, and Alfred leaves. Then we get to a place where Squire and Batman are headed towards this coal mine on these little devices that look very interesting. They kind of look like the bat gyrocopter type thing that we saw way back in the day. Leave it to Grant Morrison to bring something up like that. They get inside the coal mine, they go down, and they see a bunch of these glowing men who end up being some of King Cole's henchmen. Uh, they work their way down the coal mine, beating up these henchmen. They find Knight, who's also beating up henchmen, and they see a coffin that uh, these henchmen were carrying down. The coffin bursts open, and it turns out it's Kate Kane, Batwoman, inside the coffin. She's trying to figure out what exactly is going on and why you're trying to why they're why they're down there by a Lazarus pit which at this point they've determined that's what's down there and that's what's bringing people back to life. Kate Kane starts saying, listen, we're resurrecting um, somebody who's important. We're resurrecting Batman. They have a discussion, well, then who are you? Um, and then she says, well, Batman died saving the world. Uh, we know it's him. We are going to raise him. She says, no, you really can't do that. He says, well, it's a little too late because guess what? His body's been in the pit for quite some time. Then we end the issue with a hand in the bat suit, which we really just see the bat glove and the gauntlet rising from the Lazarus pit, and that's to be continued. It seems I have underestimated the Batman. All right, and that's going to take us into Gotham City Sirens number eight, which had shared writing duties. The plot and artwork was done by Gillian March, while the dialogue was done by Mark Andreco, who you might know. He's been writing the uh, Manhunter co-feature in Streets of Gotham. The issue starts off with Poison Ivy, who is dying because of lack of sunlight. She is curled up in a dug-in hole to keep her from escaping some sort of uh, trap. We also learn that she is the lead suspect in a recent string of murders at Robinson Park in Gotham City. We then cut to two weeks earlier. Ivy is observing the current park goers and the pain they are doing to the plants. She considers the park to be her kingdom. We then cut to Harley and Selina in the hideout. Harley has just received a package in the mail from Fed Lex. Harley states that it is a is very important and we learn it is a very thick wooden mallet. Not very important. Ivy returns from the park and Selena asks if they should be worried. Just then on the TV, it is reported that a second man has been found murdered in Robinson Park. The second victim was also found with Ivy leaves shoved in his mouth. 
This causes Harley to drop the mallet in shock, and Selena begins to question Ivy. Ivy states that she did not do it by simply answering no. She then leaves the hideout and begins to wander by herself. We, s- we see Ivy standing over the recent crime scene. A patrol car then identifies her and calls for backup. Ivy then begins to think of Arkham, and apparently she misses it. During these flashbacks, Ivy recalls her first encounter with Harley and the first encounter between Harley and the Joker. She also comes to the conclusion that Harley turned out to be a pretty good friend. She then awakes from the memories to present day where she is now surrounded by policemen. She allows the police to take her in, and she is questioned by Gordon. He explains to her that the two men killed died from a plant-based toxin that carries her genetic markers. Ivy is shocked by this and doesn't understand why Gordon would think she was still innocent. He explains that toxins were injected with a needle, something that Poison Ivy would not usually do. Gordon agrees to let her go if she helps with the apprehension of the park killer. As Ivy walks away, she is hit over the head by someone with a metal bar. Harley and Selena begin to worry and do some sleuthing to see what they can come up with on the park murders. They learn that both men were former Arkham inmates and they both were killed with toxins linked to Ivy. At this moment, they are shot at by some sort of assassin. The two quickly escape through the window. We then cut to Ivy back in the hole where she continues to deteriorate. We cut back to Harley and Selena as they continue to investigate the murders and the disappearance of Poison Ivy. After an argument with Selena, Harley decides to go for a walk. While walking, a man attacks her and sticks a needle in her neck. She is able to fight him off before passing out. We cut to Selena, who is on the phone with none other than Mr. Edward Nigma. She asks for his help, and he explains to her that if Ivy is not the killer, then someone with access to her blood must be, and that someone must have worked at Arkham. Catwoman thanks him, and she then arranges a meeting with Gordon Bullock and a police officer named Stuart Rawlings on the rooftop of the GCPD headquarters. We learn that Rawlings was the brother of one of the victims and that he kidnapped Ivy and attacked Selena and Harley. Stuart tells them where Ivy is and she is rescued and then is healed quickly. Ivy waits for the killer in the park where she confronts him. He is starstruck. He thinks that he has helped her all this time and he explains that he loves her. She then returns the favor by kissing him, which in turn kills him. And the park killer is no more. And that is the end of Gotham City Sirens number eight. You play chicken long enough, you fry. Okay, and now that takes us into the new run of Outsiders. And uh, Dan Didio's return to our writing. Let's see how he fares. Well, the Outsiders are all in Markovia, Geoforce's uh, country slash kingdom. And Geoforce is looking out, overlooking his kingdom when he's visited by Owlman. Brian, which is Geoforce's uh, civilian name, acts like a jerk to Roy and lords his title over him. He asks where Katana and Black Lightning are, and he says that they are taking care of some pirates targeting one of uh, Markovia's vessels. And then uh, Alman's like, did Alfred okay this? And Brian gets mad, and he's like, how dare you speak out of turn again? You're not going to get a third chance to do that, and I don't have to answer the Alfred anymore. I'm royalty. So Katana and Black Lightning are boarding the pirate's boat and arguing about each other's methods. Uh, Black Lightning doesn't want to kill them, and Katana is just bloodthirsty. They run into Captain Fear, who's the pirate's leader, and his young age surprises Black Lightning. But uh, Katana still wants to kill him, which Black Lightning doesn't take too kindly to, but he's forced to take care of some hostages while Katana duels Captain Fear. Metamorpho and uh, Jack Ryder, a.k.a. the Creeper, are 
you know, kind of incognito and Jack Ryder's in his civilian guise having dinner in Markovia. They argue because Jack Ryder's like, oh, I'm never going to be a human. And Metamorpho's like, oh, I'm so sick of your whining. You know, I'm leaving you with the bill. And he walks out. And then Jack Ryder walks out too. And everyone's like, ew, you stink. And he's like, no, that was Metamorpho. And then some woman eyes Jack and tells her dog that she's going to have his babies. Yeah. Katana stabs the lead pirate and throws him overboard, much to Black Lightning's anger. And he's like, I'm taking the helicopter back. You can return on your own. So the outsiders are all backstage in the quote-unquote green room preparing for a Geoforce's press conference to Markovia and the people of the world. And tensions are high. They all eventually start fighting each other until Geoforce leads them out to the stage. They are shocked when Brian announces that Markovia has developed an alliance with New Krypton, and he introduces them to their new ally and ambassador from New Krypton, who's none other than the Eradicator. And that's the end of uh, Dan Didio's first issue of Outsiders. Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman Streets of Gotham, which was not done by Paul Dini, but was written by Mike Benson with art by Dustin Wen and Derek Friedels. So this story has nothing to do with what's been going on in Streets of Gotham, but it is an interesting story nonetheless. We start off in Gotham City where there's basically someone being cut up on the docks. Batman and Gordon meet up to discuss who this person was and what the situation was around it. They go through the man's file. They come to the conclusion that the murder must have been personal, and Batman says that the killer is doing the police a favor. That, in turn, has Gordon question Batman, but there is no real questioning, obviously. Batman then suspects a former criminal who may have killed the person out of revenge. We learn that this criminal, Charlie, had nothing to do with the killing, and Batman lets him off. Then we see see the next night, another body is found slain in a warehouse. Gordon and Batman connect the two murders together and learn that these men must have ties to one another. After doing some sleuthing, Batman comes across a membership card to a sex club belonging to a second victim. Dick then realizes that this is the connection between the victims and the murderer and decides to do a little undercover work. Basically, then Dick heads to an exotic nightclub where he learns that there's a bunch of powerful people from Gotham that belong to it. After telling one of the escorts that he likes to spice things up, she introduces him to one of her colleagues. Dick and the escort head out of the club when she is attacked by a so-called former boyfriend. Dick begins to choke him when the escort steps in and breaks up the fight. Dick and her enter the limo and head for the hotel room. The ex-boyfriend ends up taking the bait and follows them to the room. However, Dick is expecting this and the issue ends with the ex-boyfriend kicking in the hotel room door with a gun in his hand. We move into the Manhunter co-feature where Batman and Robin are basically telling Kate Spencer, a.k.a. Manhunter, to keep her hands off Two-Face. She goes, you want him? Sure. She knocks him off the side of the building. She takes off, and Batman and Robin are forced to save Two-Face. Then we see the courtroom, uh, where Kate Spencer is coming into the courtroom and finding out that Two-Face is actually going to defend himself in the court of law. She objects to this, obviously, and, and he says, well, I have an, an expert witness on my behalf who says that I can defend myself. And he calls Jeremiah Arkham. He calls him to the podium. Jeremiah Arkham 
attests saying that he can in fact defend himself and that they've given him a coin that can only flip good, therefore eliminating his uh, bad or negative personality. The judge says no shenanigans. Then we move into Kate Spencer saying shenanigans in her head, and the court says it'll start Thursday. So we're in we go to Los Angeles where we have Kate's son and her niece are talking when Kate's son overhears some people downstairs talking about different things that they have to do, the different things that Kate has to deal with, especially facing off against Harvey Dent. So he hears Harvey Dent and says to himself that he's going to protect his mom. Then Kate Spencer has a meeting with Jane Doe where she basically says, listen, you testify against Two-Face and I'll make sure you don't get the death penalty. I'll make sure you just get life in jail. And uh, she leaves and the guard takes her to a jail cell that's on the men's wing where then she meets up with Two-Face. Two-Face says, I've got a proposition for you. And that's where it ends. So now we're going to throw it over to Apple, who's live on location in San Antonio, Texas, at his house. And he's going to review Azrael and Superman Batman. Apple, take it away. The stars at night are big and bright. <laughs> okay, guys, and that's going to take us into Azrael issue four. And this issue is really awesome. Batman makes an appearance right off the bat. But first, we find a little bit of the history of Michael and Marion and when uh, Marion and Gwen were killed. And when uh, Michael shows up on the scene and then he sees who would do this. So that's where kind of leads off and leading into a past memory. And then we see Batman and Robin come in. And, of course, we see the crime Bible here at work and what Batman and Robin then do, which this is Dick Grayson, Batman. And, of course, Damian and Robin, uh, they go through and they take down the crime Bible and then they come across a few weapons that were used as far as swords. There's a certain sword that Batman has to report to Commissioner Gordon that has a certain DNA that former officer Michael Lane will find interest in, which, of course, was the killing of Marion Gwynn. And so as he goes, he reports this to Commissioner Gordon. And, of course, he tries to leave this off and say no, that he he wants to explain it to Michael Lane in his own way, and he wants Commissioner Gordon to trust him. He goes, and Batman then tells Azrael, which, of course, is Michael, uh, that he wants to talk. So they went and talked, and he goes, this is long overdue. I should have gave you this, you know. there's I should have gave you some way of contact. And then Azrael, of course, tells him, you know, talk less, say more. And he shows them the evidence of what he's found. Azrael just takes off and he Batman tries to catch him knocks him down but Azrael of course escapes and Batman's like dang he got away so then he goes over to see Jen and as he's right there uh, he starts explaining who he is as Azrael and then he shows her that he's Michael and she he was like why were your fingerprints on the sword that killed Marianne and Gwen and she goes I don't know I don't know and then he explains to her the swords of how they're one of good good and evil. And she's just bawling. Batman comes in, and he just knocks it down. And as soon as he knocks him down, Michael's then down. The girl looks at the sword, and she goes, there's only one way to find out. And it leads off into surprise ending. Kind of don't want to spoil it for you guys, because that was actually pretty really cool at the end <laughs> of what happened is very surprising and you know maybe you could support your local comic book store we're trying to find out on this one but that one left off pretty good 
Yes, and if I don't pay up, I'll go to jail for tax evasion. I'm crazy enough to take on Batman, but the IRS, no, thank you. Uh, we have our world's at war, and of course, this is the telling of uh, how DC said that they were going to kind of retell old stories and try to go through them. But we have this whole casualties of war, the aftermath, which looks very cool. And, of course, fans remember reading kind of sort of this stuff back in 2001. But uh, let's lead off into Superman 68. What we see is a couple of guys leading into, uh, it looks like it's the uh, Nepal, the Himalayas. And we see a rich guy who works for Star Labs, and actually he's the kind of like the funder behind the scenes. And they come across an object in the snow. And as uh, Mr. Grime goes and touches it, he goes, oh, no. And then it leads off, and then we see Batman. Batman come around, of course, it's showing six months later. Batman goes in, stops a crime that's in between. And, of course, uh, this guy starts looking uh, kind of really cool. He almost looks like uh, the Army of Two guys. He has the, of course, his name is Deathman. And he, Batman takes him down, and then what he does to get away is actually... He he kind of dies, but he he's in a way to kind of revive himself back. He slows his heartbeat down, and so Batman starts dragging him out. Superman's right there, and he goes, hey, we have to talk about what happened out in space. And, of course, where we left off was where, um, where this story was picking up was with Superman found a Kryptonian uh, warship from long ago trying to figure out how did it show up in this universe. And, of course, you know, they figured out that they were, all the Kryptonians were soldered by alien terrorists. So Batman is trying to do the experiments. Superman is trying to find out. But Superman goes on about his day. Batman tells him that he's going to look into it about the specimens that they brought back and try to find out. And then uh, Clark Kent then goes to Star Labs. He's going to do a nice piece on uh, showing the positive side of Star Labs, not really going into any secrets. And, of course... We then go ahead and see uh, Clark go ahead and get introduced into the main uh, the main financier who likes to stay hidden and stay behind the scenes was a gentleman that was right in Nepal in the mountains and of course as he goes through you know he he likes to be known really as a silent partner but he comes out and he kind of says. Uh, okay, you know, this piece is kind of done, and Clark leaves, and he goes, don't worry, he goes, I got enough for my piece, you know, I think it's going to come out really great. Uh, the silent benefactor just looks out into Metropolis, and as he's looking out, and he goes, uh, you know, just look around as the chaos is there in the planet. He goes, it's cosmic conflict, and the gentleman that's behind him is like, what are you talking about, Mr. Anderson? And, of course, he goes, I'm talking about, you know, a certain kind of destiny, the kind we can't escape. Then it pans over to Wayne Manor. Of course, we go into the Batcave. Batman is doing, uh, checking out the molecular structure of the specimen that they brought back from outer space. And, of course, as they're going through, uh, when they go through the cellular division, they realize that it's non-human. And then Batman then sees that it's, like, changing itself. And so Batman then figures out that they're dealing with the shapeshifter type of alien, I guess. And so we go back to uh, the Daily Planet, and then we see a guy's going on a coffee run, and he goes, Clark, you need anything? He's like, no, thanks. And then Superman just has like a, like a look back, and we see this giant flame fireball coming in right into the Daily Planet, and it just blows it up. Super well, Clark actually takes... Um, a uh, couple of the other uh, reporters that are there, he flies them out. And, of course, this guy leans in, and he has to do his whole interjection. And he's NRG, he's Energy X. 
and he looks he has a gold armor suit he's got a red x and actually looks pretty cool but it stands for nuclear uh radiation uh generator uh experimental so yeah kind of a long name so we'll just keep leaving him energy x and so uh he's right there and he goes i i'm here to kill a certain reporter and i got paid heavily for it so he grabs a picture sees clark and lois and he just burns it up and he goes okay now if i can confirm the kill somewhere around here and he goes don't count on it and he soon he turns around and superman he goes now it's just me and you while there's in flames and that's where it leads off to be continued how do you solve this contraption enigma easy you just have to be a genius so now that Apple's done with his reviews, we are now going to go into our comic review wrap-up. So we're going to start off with World's Finest. All right, well, I'm loving this book, and when I do the notes for these, sometimes it'll be like two or three paragraphs, and then I'm done. This one was a lot longer with the notes, and because there's a lot going on in this, and I love this. This was just fun. I mean, we have all these crossovers going on everywhere else, and these were just fun stories to get the Superman, Batman people together. And they even opened it up at the end to leave room for a sequel. I'm not sure what the plan is there. And I like how they followed through with how the characters were interacting in the other books, like Damien and Stephanie and stuff. There was some weird things, though, like all of a sudden, you know, uh, Damien and Stephanie are frozen, but we didn't see much of the fight with Mr. Freeze and Toy Man. That all kind of happened off screen. And when Superman just busts into the robot, I mean, everybody should have been theoretically, like, sucked out because of the winds. And he and Supergirl are, like, that close to all that kryptonite. And then, like, two seconds after they throw it, you know, they're okay. And Superman's ready to throw kryptonite man out of the robot and let him fall to his death when Batman's like, wait put this on him then you know the batmobile will catch him so means oh yeah that's actually a much better idea like, what you know uh and then of course they recover a second later and it's supposed to detonate new krypton in five minutes but it doesn't really get that far it just blows up like we're led to believe in earth's orbit before any of that happens i don't know there was some holes in this but it was a fun story i'm liking the art and yeah, they did the whole thing. Hey, this is actually our first Superman-Batman team-up, our first of many. I usually hate it when books do that, but this is actually the first team-up since all these status quo changed. So, And I did want to see all the characters interact. That was one of the first things I thought when Dick became Batman. Like, oh, cool, I can't wait for him to team up with Superman. So I'm enjoying this despite its flaws, so I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. And that's going to take us into Detective Comics 861. Overall, another great issue turned in by uh, Greg Rucka. And I hear some people talk about how overhyped his writing has been. And I completely disagree because he has made Kate a very strong and powerful and popular female character in the DCU. And how many times does that happen in a DC or Marvel book? Almost never. I thought the Cutter villain is uh, was pretty realistic, which makes him really creepy. Um, and I also liked how he kind of, Rucka and Jock, which I'll get into, kind of show the parallels between what's going on with Batman and Batwoman's cases and how similar their methods are. Another thing is I keep hearing, you know, the question of who is Batman. The way I'm taking it is Bruce Wayne. From what I was understanding that this is all Kate's origin in the beginning. So and the the yellow bat symbol for me says it's Bruce Wayne. 
as I said, J.H. Williams did not do the artwork for this issue, unfortunately, but Jock is a excellent artist and is no slouch himself and uh, isn't really much of a step down, in my opinion. However, seeing Cameron Stewart do draw Batman in the recent issue of Batman and Robin and Jock draw her in Detective Comics, um, which I thought Jock did really well, Williams is the only person I really want to see drawing Kate. But I, but I love Jock's style, and he's got a very gritty, kind of dark tone and style to his, his, uh, his artwork. It kind of, in a way, is, reminds me of somebody like Michael Lark, who is one of my personal favorites. Bottom line, even though Williams left this book, it didn't miss a beat for me, so I'm going to give it five out of five batterings. The question co-feature this this issue was okay i i mean i really like Coley hamner's artwork and it, it you know it, it's fun um i think kind of helena and renee teaming up is is a cool idea and that's you know i hope they continue to explore that relationship further but i i thought it was kind of ridiculous too that they were so easily willing to make a deal with this this uh, contracted contract killer but um you know, whatever. Question co-feature, I'll, I'll give three out of five batterings. All right, so this is going to take us into Batman and Robin number seven. Cameron Stewart came on the book. Uh, the last time we saw the book, Philip Tan was doing the art. Um, say what you want about Philip Tan. I think he did a decent job for what he was given. Um, it wasn't the same. It w- the storyline definitely wasn't on the same lines as uh, the first storyline with Frank Quietly, so he did what he could. Cameron Stewart, his artwork falls in line with exactly what I like to see. A lot of people may know or may not know that uh, one of my favorite artists is Scott McDaniel. His art kind of reminds me of that. Still a little bit cartoony, but yet still uh, very detailed, which I like. Reminds me of a comic instead of trying to be a realistic aspect of a person. I don't need to see a realistic aspect of a person. If I did, I would look at photos. Or a photo book, but they don't make photo books because nobody actually wants to look at those. Anyway, the story overall, it was very, very fast-paced. It uh, jumped around very quickly. I mean, we literally go from page one to page two and we're on the other side of the world. The one complaint that I probably had was that at times there was a little bit too quick. It was too quick, and because it was too quick, we ended up running into the issue of sometimes it was, wait, what's going on? And you probably didn't hear it, but while we were, while I was doing my review, I actually got lost while I was thinking about it, of what exactly happened, because it's just, that's how fast it really went. Cameron Stewart's art, excellent, Grant Morrison, right on par with what we saw in the first issue. I'm curious to know what's going to happen, although I'm really wondering how and why and what this bat person coming out of the Lazarus Pit is going to be in the next issue, which obviously keeps me interested and we don't have to wait long. We have another issue coming out very shortly. The only thing is uh, editorial. You know, despite the fact that they didn't have a book, this book come out for well over. Well, I think the last issue was the beginning of November. They didn't have the issue in December, and then they waited till the end of January to put it out. So they actually had about two months to sit on this book. Why do we have Batman saying to Batwoman once Batwoman bursts out of the coffin, say, "Then who the hell am I talking to? Where am I?" And then Batman responds, you used explosives in a confined space. You've been tranquilized. You're probably concussed. I'm the new Batman. 
Why would Batwoman be saying I'm the new Batman? So that was obviously a huge goof that I don't know how it could possibly happen on one of DC's top books, if not the top book. Yeah, someone is probably going to get in trouble for that. And I look in uh, Mike Mart's direction. Overall, decent issue. Four out of five batterings. And that's going to take us into Gotham City Sirens number eight. Overall, I thought that this was a pretty decent issue. I say decent for Gotham City Sirens because normally I find this book to be rather uninteresting. But this issue actually had a plot. It had a beginning and an end. And it was just kind of a fun little murder mystery. And I really liked how how the Riddler was used. Selena went to him for for questions. And I thought the dialogue was pretty solid, and I thought the plot was really solid. Gillian uh, Marsh's artwork, either like him or you don't, I'm fine with his artwork on this book. I don't know how I'm going to feel when he comes on to Batman on uh, number 698, but we'll see. And, um, you know, there are things that he does that I don't like, and there are things I do that he does that I do like. But overall, I think his style fits the book. Overall... Solid issue again, nothing important, just a simple murder mystery with the girls. Two and a half out of five batterings. Outsiders. Um, look, obviously, this book had some pretty big expectations to fill with me because I was loving this previous run of Outsiders. And the comic cast before we before we announced that Dan Didio was taking it over, I said, Don't change a thing. Well, you know, I was prepared to hate it, and it didn't disappoint. Everyone is just mad at each other this whole issue. I mean, that's if you listen to the recap, that's pretty much what it is. Everyone just all of a sudden is like, oh, I hate you. I, you know, and the whole, oh, get it, get it. They're supposed to be a team, but they're at each other's throats. They have to work through this conflict. Ha ha ha. That's such a tired, played out comic cliche. And this is a team that's been together for a little while now and that was getting its groove, kind of. And. Geoforce has kind of been portrayed as a bit of a jerk sometimes, but it's just taken up to 11 here. And you could say, well, you know, his sister just came back from the dead and he has some issues. No, no, no. He's like, oh, I don't have to answer to Alfred. I'm not going to answer to someone's manservant. I'm the king of Markovia. Um, you know, if what, why are all of a sudden you're too good to answer the Alfred when you were doing it for the last run of Outsiders? Just saying. And... Some of it was just forced, like, you know, I don't care about Metamorpho and Jack Ryder having a, you know, dinner date where they get mad at each other or something, and, I, the you know, the art wasn't too bad. The art was okay, but just the writing, it was, I don't want, this is, everyone's mad at each other, and that was the only note of the book, and unless they're saying it up for something good, which I doubt, I'm, I'm gonna have to say one out of five batterings. <laughs> All right, so that's going to take us into Batman Streets of Gotham number eight. Uh, with this issue, I got to say again, Paul Dini, where has he been? <clears throat> Why do they keep soliciting books that say Paul Dini's going to be on the book, but then he's not? Now, I'm a Paul Dini fan, but I'm not a Paul Dini fan where, oh my God, he wasn't on the book, so I'm not going to buy it. I'm still going to buy it. But I just I'm getting tired of DC as a company soliciting one thing and then we getting a completely different thing. Not to mention the fact that what they solicited is playing into a storyline that has been happening since oh wait August of two thousand nine, and 
the story that was supposed to continue has not, so that means all the solicitations for the following months could also be bumped or moved or changed. Not to mention, this was a part one of part two of two. Of, of two. So, that being said, we either aren't going to see this issue continued for quite some time, or they have every intention of not having Dini on the book again in the future and finishing it up many issues later, which I find extremely annoying. Dustin Wen's art impeccable as usual i honestly mike benson i think he did a great job i think he did a better job than in some cases paul dini has done i'm not going to go online and say that he's better than paul dini but for the first time i've ever seen any of his work i think he did an excellent job overall this was i don't see anything wrong with this issue at all i'm going to give it four out of five batarangs and i'm going to give a zero out of five batarangs to dc putting out wrong solicitations Okay, and then moving into the Manhunter co-feature, I'm interested to see where it's going. I think that this story could easily be told in something that is not this crazy co-feature. And honestly, we know it's going to be ending very shortly. And when it does end, I'm hoping that Manhunter gets thrown into Birds of Prey or something. I don't know. Because she's become an interesting character. i got to be completely honest. I didn't give two craps about her before she was in Gotham City, but now that she is, I find her actually pretty interesting. So uh, this story, I'm interested to see what uh, Two-Face is going to pull out of his pocket when he goes to court, and somehow I have a feeling Kate Spencer's going to lose and Harvey Dent's going to walk. So for this cool feature, I'm going to give three and a half batarangs out of five just because there wasn't a ton in it, but it was interesting. Okay, so now we're going to throw it over to Apple, and he's going to Give us the review wrap-up for Azrael and Superman Batman. So let's throw it over to Apple. Okay, so going into review. Azrael number four is... I, I kind of like want to like this character. I, I kind of like wanted to like Jean-Paul Jean too. Um, there were certain parts of a character I think that, you know, they could have always made better. Fabian is writing this. So... What's holding me on to this book from not saying, uh, tell me my comic guy, I don't want it anymore. Stop it. Uh, what's holding me back is the fact that Fabian is writing it. And Fabian is a wonderful writer. And I think single-handedly saving this book. Uh, Roman Bach, oh man, his, his, his storyboards, the way they're going to look, they're okay. But his finished art, when he comes down to it, it's a bit disappointing. So, I mean, even at the end of the story, Fabian keeps you kind of hooked. And I, I just wish that I, I want to do separate scores for this because Fabian is doing a wonderful job saving this book. So for Fabian, I want to go ahead and give him three in a, three batarangs out of five because it's a really good story. It could be four, except this, the, the artwork is just not there. If you had a better artist, I think this book would probably one of the must buy books of uh of the month that you can look forward to monthly but as far as artwork guys man i i hate to say this for roman but i would only not even i don't even think i would even give him a half battering for the artwork um i don't i I couldn't even tell if that was really dick grayson that's the way it looked he tried to do like a whole uh bruce wayne type of take on that but yeah i would kind of want to steer you guys to go ahead and buy it for the story uh, Superman and Batman 68 I didn't hate this and I didn't 
fall in love with it. I think the art was solid. Um, there's some good points to uh, Adrian's art artwork. Uh, Joe Casey, going back into these art, art worlds at war and going back to these stories of kind of like retelling the tales or looking through a different view of the tales that uh, DC said that they were going to do through Superman and Batman going back into continuity. Um I think this was okay. Uh, I would have to read the next part to honestly really give my opinion as far as if I hate it or not. But I tell you what, this is a whole lot better than some of the stories that Superman and Batman have done before. So I'm looking forward to it, the next one. So I guess that can be a good thing. So why don't we hold this somewhere around three batterings out of five with maybe a promising for this storyline to pick up because it is going to be a big six-parter. So we'll see how that turns out. But uh, that's my reviews. All right, so that's the review wrap-up. I'm sending it So that. now we would go normally into Bat Books for Beginners or our discussion, but I'm going to start off with saying there is no Bat Books for Beginners. I, you may have heard me say that earlier, but there is, in fact, no Bat Books for Beginners this episode. And you might be asking yourself, why? Why is there no Bat Books for Beginners? Nick, why are you forsaking us? But the reality of it is... The reason why there's no bad books for beginners, well, you may have noticed that in the most recent issue of Batman and Robin, Batman is actually over in England, in London. Well, it turns out that uh, if you read page number eight, you see Batman jumping on a roof of a building. Well, it turns out that once Batman jumped off the roof of the building, the building actually, the roof collapsed. and uh, Batman's been eating too. A few too many Twinkies recently. It's that fat fat man sketch from Freakazoid. But the big thing is, Nick's ceiling has crashed in his new flat in London because of Batman, so his internet is out for the time being. So Nick will return as soon as possible. So what we'd like to do is, we'd all like to wish Nick a get well soon by sending him emails at nick at thebatmanuniverse.net along with your comments of how fast you really want Bat Books for Beginners to come. Now, I encourage you to do this, because if Nick doesn't get very many emails, Nick might never be back. Exactly. Alright, so our discussion for this episode is going to be, actually, we're going to read a fan email that was sent in. We're going to answer the question from our perspectives. Josh is going to read the email. All right, this is from Carl Harris. He's from Rhode Island. He says, hey, guys, loving the podcast. Quick question um, that I'm hoping that you guys can bring up in the discussion. Ever since the Joker fell off of that bridge in the ambulance at the end of Batman R.I.P., we haven't really seen him since. I thought that that was him in Gotham City Sirens, but it was just another one of DC's stupid fake-outs. What do you think the Joker's been doing all this time, and why are they waiting for him to return? I think two things. One... Uh, we're going to see the Joker very soon, and I think the reason why we haven't seen him is because Grant Morrison has called dibs, and nobody's messing with the Joker because he's going to play a big part. And Joker always plays a bigger role when he's missing for a while and then randomly appears. Yeah, I think it makes the character, to me, more significant when he's not around for a period of time and then he shows up in an important point in uh in a story part of the problem i have with the joker is that it's there are so many the market was just kind of convoluted with joker stories at some point and it was a joker 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 and i i think it's i like the fact that besides that issue of gotham city sirens they have not hinted at him at all but i i do think grant morrison will be the guy to bring him back 
I don't know where that'll be. I'm going to have to agree that it's uh, it's probably a Grant Morrison thing. When we thought that that was Joker and not Gaggy and Gotham City Sirens, there was actually a lot of complaints. People like, oh, wow, they're just completely disregarding Morrison's story and Paul Dini's doing it like it's the animated series. And, of course, that wasn't – and they're like, you know, he disappeared and they're bringing him back in a satellite title with little to no fanfare. So obviously when he comes back now, it has to be big. And I think it's – Apple's going to hate me for this, but it's good to take a break from the Joker for a while. Because there's just so much overkill for him. And you know what? Make him disappear for a year or something and have him come back in a big way and be planning something big. And I think it's going to be a crime if DC doesn't have the Dick Grayson Batman confront the Joker during his turn in the cow. Because they completely dropped the ball on that during Prodigal you know, with the whole lead up to Two-Face and everything. And I think that that would be the test. And... I think that Damien needs someone to beat the living snot out of him to give him some dignity. And uh, I think Joker's the one that'll do it. And then, of course, we'll have the obligatory, oh, no, this is making me think of what happened to Jason Todd. And then the side-by-side panel comparison with Joker with a crowbar. Because, yes, you know that once they have the Joker come back and beat Damien with a crowbar, the fans will be cheering. Why? Damien is awesome. I know everyone just loves him, and nobody wants uh, to see him get beaten with a crowbar. I'm being well. I'm being serious. I really like Damien. Everybody but Zach. But it's good to take a break from the Joker, and his return has to be big. Maybe not as big as the return for Bruce Wayne, but you know the Joker's appearances should be special things, not just something that happens every other month. But uh, we were talking about this before. Damien didn't know that Joker was in that ambulance when he knocked it off of the bridge, and him and Alfred like. Weren't you fade? I mean, Alfred's like, oh, Damien, you have to watch your driving. But, like, they didn't investigate the fact that Damien may have just killed somebody who's, like, another civilian. And I know that lately the Batman family just doesn't care about ambulances, but come on. Like I said, I think Joker's going to be back very, very shortly. So that's all we've got for the discussion this time. Short one, but sweet to the point. So let's go into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. I want information. And I'll get it any way I please. Alright, so February 10th, we only have two issues. Batgirl number 7 and Batman Robin number 8. On February 17th, we have Azrael number 5, Batman 696, Batman Streets of Gotham number 9, Batman the Brave and the Bold number 14, The Outsiders number 27, and Superman Batman number 69. Now, I'm almost positive that at some point, some of those issues will be shaken up and moved around because it seems like that's a lot of issues in just one week. But I've seen crazier things happen. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. As far as what we'll be covering next time on the podcast, it'll actually be a very short podcast with only Batman Confidential number 41, Red Robin number 9, Batgirl number 7, and Batman Robin number 8. That's all I wanted to know. As always, you can head over to the website, become a member on the forums to interact with other bad fans, check out the website for daily news. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave us a review on iTunes, as well as email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. As I said in the last normal podcast, which some of you don't listen to, so I will be sure to mention it. We are having some sort of, I guess the best way to put it, is a fan participation event. If we can get to 1,000 fans on Facebook before San Diego Comic-Con, we will actually have a fan event at comic-con which there are some surprises in for our fans that will be out in san diego for the convention 
Uh, but that will only be in fact if we can get to a thousand fans or more. Also on Twitter, our goal is to get to 250 followers by Chicago Comic Con, which is the end of April. So let's get to 250 and then get to a thousand. And trust us, we've got something really cool in store for all of you at San Diego. Uh, that being said, that is everything for this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank Apple for joining us from live on location from San Antonio, Texas. And this is Dustin. It's Josh. And this is Zach. And you have been listening to the Batman Humorous Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Remember the Alamo. Because an elephant <laughs> never forgets. Uh, He's alive. Where okay, are uh, Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Time out. All right. Is it, am I reading? Uh, <laughs> the, it gets called out on the person who's not following along. No, I, <clears throat> listen, okay, so Dude, I'm reading it happens, it happens to me all the time. I, I've actually reading, learned my lesson. I'm reading Yoast. Is that the deal? Yes. <laughs> I love Tan. Tan? You mean Tam? <laughs> That's almost the. That's almost as good as when he did actually say bulgy, <laughs> bulgy, bulgy tan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love. I'm gonna save the comment you made about the the Ra, the Roz's ass. <laughs> He's gonna kick Roz's ass. <laughs> Screw you guys! I'm going home. <laughs> but I, I am excited for. Comics right. I read were the Robin and spoiler stuff, so obviously I've seen this relationship go through some highs and lows. So it'll be interesting if they don't uh, screw the pooch. Screw the pooch! Wow, you're getting closer and closer to being edited out. <laughs> oh my god, you are not a TV show. I hate it when comic writers refer to their books as seasons. Hang on a second, just before you continue, he just referenced Karl Marx. <laughs> what the hell? And then you wonder why everyone bashes you when you defend him on the forums. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I'll anyway, let you continue. Anyway, yeah. continue. Opening up my WordPad documents. Do, 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 do. You're taking hey. so bloody long. Play Good. the Jeopardy music. That'll just remind me of how I kicked the butts of everyone on Spider-Man Crawl Space. All right. How, how, many, how many weeks are we going to brag about this? <laughs> It'll never stop. Okay. That was like two months ago. Just a month ago, <laughs> where uh, while um, cl- dark, I just realized it's uh, if you put their names together, it's Dick Clark. <laughs> you know, for two guys who really want to get things rolling, I guess you guys really want. I was. Set. I'm sorry. I'm. I was just talking to somebody else. And the once Batman gets on the train, he sees that. What is that guy's name? The Eddie what? Oh, uh, Eddie English. Yeah, yeah, smooth Eddie English. And they find out that King Cole and Eddie... Hold on a second, I'm forgetting something here. What do you mean that's not how the coin works? What? They 
they can't just give him a good coin and then say, okay, you can only make good decisions. That's not how it works. I like vanilla ice cream too. I'm Dan DiDio, and welcome to my office for 20 questions. Cup of Beans wrote in. I love that name, Cup of Beans. Can't get enough of Cup of Beans. You're an idiot. Shut up. <laughs> cup of Beans. Why do people say you sound tired on the podcast? You're on fire tonight. <laughs> well, you forget that half the stuff gets edited out, though. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he's going to pull a Boss Maroni on her. Maybe he's going to pull his coin out of his pocket. No, maybe he'll he's like scarf pull something else out of his pocket. <laughs> it's opposite day, so the good side is actually the bad side. <laughs> Why did we make it a one-sided coin? Boy, you threw a big curveball at me. Wham! <laughs> Which we're pretty much sure that this isn't Batman or Batman Bruce Wayne, I should say. So, who is this person, and how much you bet someone ends up shooting him in the head? But who's going to shoot him in the face? I'm so confused now. Have you ever seen it or no? No, but I mean... I will find it because it is... No, no, I'm confused why you think he's going to get shot in the face. Oh, I don't know. I was just saying that because I thought it would be an awesome plug to put in there. Okay. The guy's going to get killed. I mean, it ain't personal, but it can't do anything. The guy's going to get killed. Batman, if you're watching, somebody's going to shoot you in the goddamn face. Yeah, um... We're getting way off track. (laughs) And, uh, I was done saying my bit, so I don't know what you guys are going to do. But I like vanilla ice cream. <laughs> I like vanilla ice cream, too. You know what I watched on Sunday? I watched Batman and Robin. Completely ruined my day because they're on TV. <laughs> oh, that, that, that that's going to be great for the tags. Yeah. Like, All right, everybody. Chill. Batman and Why Robin. don't we talk about Batman and Robin? That can be a discussion. <laughs> well, wait, already tried that. I thought I thought during the summit. No, we had... I mean Batman and Robin the movie. <laughs> yes, I got that. I was, uh, I was doing a play on words. No, uh, hang on a second. I thought you deviated so far from. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Are we talking? I have an idea. Why don't we talk about what we ate for dinner tonight? Because <laughs> that'll be more interesting than anything else. Well. I don't Actually, know that we could get further off topic than talking about what we ate for dinner. I don't know what you ate. I want to know what Emilio estimates. Why don't we just? Why, oh why don't we just oh leave all of this in and and make that discussion instead of doing a tag sequence? Just like let everyone hear how we deviated, and obviously, we'll see you guys next time. Any day, Josh. Oh. So we got some comic news. We have eight books to cover in comic reviews, as well as um, oh, there is none of that. Let's see. That'll be funny. You're like my best female voice, and you just read it like the deepest male voice that you can. Or like Dan Gil Simone. Hey guys, birds is prey. The- <laughs> it's got chicks. Is the overall. <laughs> my place for a second oh okay yeah because of how it's laid out the other blacked out figure sure looks bulky is there a man on the team you said bulky bulky okay like bulk and skull 